Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Matthew chapter 28. As we just saw there, we're starting kicking off a new sermon series. Uh, we have uh, quite a few people in the house today, which I'm really excited about. feels almost like church this morning, and uh, that is good. And we have some chairs up here. This is part of our, our series. We'll describe these as we move through them. I'm going to introduce uh, the call to make disciples. Uh, Pastor Rich next Sunday is going to talk about the methods. And then we're going to look at each of these chairs as different stages in growth and what that calls us to do. Um, Pastor Rich is going to look at the last chair. And then I'm going to look at some barriers to making discipleship, uh, making disciples. So we're going to kick this off. You know, as we start this new year uh, in still in the midst of a pandemic and all that's going on, uh, it seems like all the news is negative. And I found this article on the Gospel Coalition, 15 Good News Trends from 2020. And so these are good things that are going on in our world. And sometimes it's just good to, to think about this. It doesn't really have anything to do with the sermon, but I'll, I'll pass these on. Uh, in a historic healthcare achievement, the World Health Organization announced that Africa is now free from polio, um, which has been going on. But the last two decades, uh, thousands of African children were paralyzed by polio. And uh, we're seeing um, just that completely uh, dying out in Africa, which from us, from the United States, we're going, what? People are still dying of polio? Yes. Um, and so that's, that's awesome. 2020 uh, Global Terrorism Index has found that the deaths from terrorism fell for the fifth consecutive year, uh, spiking uh, in 2014. That's good news. After 39 years of work, uh, a translation of the Bible in American Sign Language has been completed. I would have guessed that this was already done. Uh, the work was started in 1981, and uh, the, the author there, the one that was working on it, completed Jeremiah and Ezekiel in the fall, and that adds to the number of language almost, uh, languages, almost one out of every three languages uh, has an adequate access to Scripture. Um, for much of human history, malaria has been one of the leading causes of death, but according to the World Health Organization report, on the disease, malaria deaths have reached the lowest level ever recorded. Um, before, an estimated 1.5 billion malaria cases and 7.6 million, million malaria deaths were, uh, they say, averted since the year 2000. The World Health Organization also reports that between 2015 and 2019, global deaths from tuberculosis uh, fell by 14%. Um, more good news. Uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigation released the latest edition of Crime in the United States, you're not going to believe this one, which shows that violent crime has decreased nationwide for the third consecutive year. Uh, the number of people around the globe dying from AIDS decreased by 5.4%. The number of people without access to elect electricity dropped from almost 80, 860 million in 2018 to 770 million in 2019. It continues to decrease. Um, Israel and the United Arab Emirates uh, had that great uh, peace treaty signed, and Israel uh, and the United Arab Emirates also signed that in 2020. Uh, the abortion rate in the United States continues to decline. This is the lowest rate recorded since abortion was legalized in 1973. Uh, the teen birth rate in the United States, also at a record low, uh, dropping to less than 18 births per 1,000 girls and women in ages 15 to 19. Uh, the number of people in American prisons continued to decrease. Many endangered species are making a comeback. Efforts to curb poaching 
have helped Kenya's elephant population more than double over the past three decades. And then finally, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court continued a pattern of preventing restrictions on religious liberty. Uh, the Supreme Court closed out 2020 term with three significant victories for religious liberties. So, you know, not all the news is bad. There's some good stuff out there. And uh, sometimes when we, uh, when we think of church and religion and making ministry happen, we think, oh, it's just so hard. It's just negative, negative, negative. And uh, we just want to go back to the Gospels and be encouraged about making disciples. Um, our vision around here, love God, love people, make disciples following Jesus. So we're going to focus on this idea for the next several weeks of making disciples. Um, I'm going to look at today from uh, Matthew 28, just our call. What is it? What is this call to make disciples? And then my second point, does it really apply to me? And then my third point is, yeah, but, right? Because those are our excuses, okay? So the call, what is it? Does it really apply to me? And then just if you're still hanging in there, yeah, but what about, and we'll look at those. So let's look at the call from Matthew chapter 28, uh, the Great Commission. Now I'll start in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the call to make disciples. And we're going to look at this in different stages. So we've got four chairs up here. Uh, the seeker, the new believer, okay? The more mature, we're going to call adolescence. Nobody wants to be a teenager again, but we're going to call it that. And then the fourth chair is the disciple maker. Notice it's a couch. We did that on purpose because the disciple maker is inviting people to come sit with them. And so we're going to walk through this thing. Now, if you're here, you're watching and you go, man, I don't even know if I'm a follower of Jesus. We're starting right at the, the, the best place for you because we're going to walk you through this. When Jesus called his disciples, he said to them, and we've used this as a definition of discipleship here at our church, where Jesus says to his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, why that's significant is for, for me, when Jesus calls his disciples, he called them with the end in mind. He didn't just say, follow me and you'll go to heaven. You say, well, isn't that the end? He said, no, follow me and you're going to become disciple makers. He told them what was going to happen with them. And so we've defined this as discipleship. Follow me. It's that call to make a decision to repent of my sin and follow Jesus. And I will make, we recognize that when we follow Jesus, he's going to make some changes in our lives. That's the heart. And I will make you fishers of men. He's going to give us something to do, a mission. That's the call to discipleship. And somehow we have in the modern uh, Western church is we've just made it follow me. And we forgot the and I will make and fishers of men. And so we're going to focus on that part. So 
The call here to you is still to follow Jesus because he offers life and purpose. And so the call is still there for all of us. But let's look at what it means here, this call to make disciples. This is nothing new. You've heard this before. But there's two commands in the Great Commission. The first one is make disciples. Command number one is make disciples. It's not go. Okay, there's three verbs that modify making disciples. The first command is make disciples. And then it's really as you go. And then this, the, the, the second modifier is to baptize. And the third modifier is to teach. Specifically, everything I command. Now, I just, it's interesting to me is there has been in the church, I see less of it now, and that's why I'm going to cover, does this really apply to me? There has been this idea that this call is only for certain people, missionaries specifically, pastors. But notice the third modifier there is what? To teach everything that I have commanded, which includes what? Make disciples, the last thing he said. That was the last thing he taught. It's interesting. uh, When we think of the church making discipleship, Dan Spader in his book, um, Four Chair Disciple Making, points out that 17 times in the gospel, we find Jesus with the masses. But 46 times in the gospel, we find him with his disciples. Two years after Pentecost, The religious leaders claim to to, to Peter, it says, all Jerusalem was filled with their teachings. Now, they meant that as an insult. How do you think Peter took that? Sounds like we're doing pretty good then. Five and a half years after Pentecost, it is reported that there was churches planting churches. In Acts chapter 9, it says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galatia and Samaria had had peace and was being built up. 18 years after Pentecost, it's reported, said back to the disciples, to Paul, you are turning the world upside down. That's disciples making disciples. Now, for some of you, we're going through this fast because I want to get to the excuses. That's really where, you guys have heard of Matthew chapter 28 sermon before. And Rod could come up and do it better. But I want to get to the excuses. So I'm going through this part fast, but there is a second command. I'm letting you think a little bit. The second command is behold in the ESV. It's actually in command form. Does it mean what is it in the in the old King James? Lo. You just pass right over that word. And lo. I don't even know what that means. And lo, I am with you always. And behold, I am with you. In uh, the Christian Standard Bible, it's remember. The New Living Translations, it's be sure. The second commandment, Jesus says, go make disciples. And remember, they're up there, his disciples, who were looking at the risen Lord, Some still doubt it. 
And he says, I want you to go make disciples. I want you to teach them everything that I've commanded. And I want you to remember that I'm with you. I think that's significant. Because you don't go and do it on your own. God's with you. And so next time you're wrestling with somebody in our church, in our body, that's saying, I don't know if I can share the gospel with that person. I don't know if I should invite them to church. I, I don't know if I can be a Sunday school teacher. Here's what you say to them. You ready? Low. And hopefully they'll know what you're talking about. I don't think I can do it. Low. Remind them. So people want to say, okay, Dave, isn't that what we pay missionaries for? Does this really apply to me? Now, it's interesting to me, this is an argument that I've actually heard at theological levels of people saying, well, Jesus is talking to the disciples and this isn't really for the church. I hear a lot less of that. I don't hear that argument anymore theologically. I hear it practically. I hear people practically living that way, but they don't theologically believe that they're actually excluded. I was reading a blog this week that was about discipleship and I don't normally do this, but because I was preaching on it, I started reading the comments. And one person commented that. It was, this, is, this isn't a command for everybody. This is a command for the disciples. And I was angry, but I didn't comment because I don't do that. So because of that, let me give you seven reasons why I think it's clear that this still applies to us. Um, I already actually gave you one because Jesus already said, teach them everything, and it was the last thing. So it's really eight. The first one is just keep this in mind. Here's why we get confused. The call is both corporate and individual. Now, I'm not trying to confuse you here, but Jesus is talking to a group of people when he says, go make disciples. Now, when they hear that, and because of their culture and the way that they've already done ministry with Jesus, they're not thinking we are going to go out in 11 different directions and make disciples, that we are calling us to corporately go make disciples which is going to include me doing it individually. It's both and. Disciple making is both corporate. Yes, we do it as a church. And you are the church, and therefore you individually do it. Now, there are some people who God has laid a special calling on to go to a specific place and make disciples. That does not negate the fact that you are called to make disciples here. Here's the reality. If we don't make disciples here, eventually we will not be able to support those who are making disciples somewhere else. Right? So the, the call is both corporate and individual. Jesus is talking to a group that is made up of individuals. Now I've got some good news for you. This call is time sensitive. It's time sensitive. Let's see if we run out of time. He says teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. We're not there yet, sorry. We're still called to do it. But guess what? There's an end in sight. We're just not there yet. Some of you thought 2020 was going to be it. 
but we're not there yet. So because we're not there yet, we're still in this process until Jesus returns of making disciples. Third, we're included in the prayer. When you go back to John chapter 17, uh, and we just finished uh, the book of John uh, just the last couple weeks in our Bible reading. And uh, when you get to John chapter 17, verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, being the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world might believe that you have sent me. You are a part of the process. Jesus prayed for you that you would be united with the Father, that that intimacy would be such that people would come to believe in Jesus Christ. Boy, talk about putting some pressure on our daily devotions and intimacy with God. It's that relationship that draws people in to the kingdom of God. Now, Paul puts it a different way. He says that we share in the ministry of reconciliation. Now, we talk a lot about reconciliation at our church, and obviously that's the reconciliation oftentimes between believers who are at odds for some other reason, disagreement, whatever. We want to be peacemakers. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I didn't put it in my notes, uh, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, so what Paul is saying is, look, you were at odds with God. You rebelled against him. And God's loved you so much that he sent his son so that through faith in him, you might be reconciled to God. Since you've experienced this, this reconciliation with God because you're at peace with him, because your relationship has been restored, he says, guess what? Go tell other people about that. You now are an ambassador of what has happened to you. You have the ministry of reconciliation. It's interesting too, another point for me in this process is that it's the church, not the apostles that are per persecuted at first. In Acts chapter eight, it talks about because the church is growing, that this great persecution comes up on the church. And it says the church was scattered, but the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. And so what happens is the church starts growing all throughout Samaria and Judea because of persecution, not because of religious freedom. And so the church is being spread out and it's the church, it's not the apostles who are making the disciples, it's the church. Paul repeats the command in another way in 2 Timothy chapter two, where he says, you therefore, my son, speaking to Timothy, calling him, not, not that he was Paul's, physical son, but he was a spiritual son. He says, you therefore, my son, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, in the, in the presence of, uh, of these men, reliable men, who you are to entrust the message to. In, in other words, Timothy, go make disciples who will be able to teach others. And you know, over and over again, the church is called a body. It's not the pastors that are called the body. It's the church. 
It's called the body of Christ. You're the hands, the feet, the eyes. So listen, when we talk about the church making disciples, it absolutely includes our missions budget. But if it doesn't include you, then we're missing something. And some of you are going, okay, Dave, I know you're the pastor. I know you're passionate about these things. I'm feeling really uncomfortable. I've got some excuses. And I'm about to cover them for you. Because I can read your mind. I've narrowed it down to three. Yeah, but shouldn't we leave this to the professionals? You're a professional, Dave. Rod's a professional. Let me just say this. Please don't outsource the gospel. Please do not outsource the gospel. We live in a society that outsources everything. Don't believe me? When's the last time you made butter? Come on, Dave, butter? Yeah, I looked it up, and and, and according uh, to the everyday chef, there's only two ingredients to making butter in 12 minutes, and one of them is water. You know you can make butter. I mean, I did, but... Oh, it's easier to go buy them. You have some choices when you leave here. You can go buy a sandwich or you can make a sandwich at home. And all of you know what you want to pick. It's really nice when somebody else makes your sandwich. It goes down much easier for some reason. We outsource everything. And the Western evangelical church has started outsourcing discipleship. And we shouldn't. You know what the reality is? When your friends are hurting, when they are actually seeking, they don't want to hear from me. They don't want to be sent to the pastor. People today, if they are trying to answer a question, they will look in three places before they look to a professional. Medical. Let's just take medical. What are they going to do first? They're going to Google it. Okay, that did. Second thing they're going to do? Ask a friend. The third thing, anything else other than ask a professional. People don't want to do it. They're going to Google it. They're not going to find it but they will listen to you before they'll listen to me. Don't outsource the gospel. Um, Don't underestimate the need. I think that uh, there is a false narrative. Okay, I'm going to say that again because some of you are going to disagree with this, Um, but I want to say it. There's a false narrative that the church in America is not growing at all. There are churches that are growing. There are churches that are making disciples. Okay? People are still accepting Christ in America. And so don't underestimate the need. Right? We're we're reminded that 
The, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I love the words from Jude. Uh, it was the first book uh, of the Bible that I preached through when I got here almost 12 years ago. It says, you have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. What a beautiful picture. To others show mercy with fear, having even the garment stained by flesh. Uh, we, we've gotten already some comments. We have the four chairs up here and the blow-up chair. Chair number one, the seeker has flames on it. Was it did, did not, I did not even, was not even picturing hell there, sorry. Actually, the one, the seeker, the non-Christian, to be honest with you, the chair that we first found, it was a blow-up chair that had Coors Light on it. And we thought that would be funny, but not to some of you. So we went with the flames instead. Okay, so, but the, the picture there, snatching them out of the fire, we could put Jude on that right there and just kind of picture that. Don't neglect the gifts that you've been given. In John chapter 16, which is just part of our reading just last week. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Jesus speaking to his disciples says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and judgment uh, and righteousness and judgment. That's, that's one of the hardest passages for me to wrap my head around. I'm just being honest with Jesus speaking to his disciples and he's going to say to them, it's better for me if I would go. I, I would argue that. No, Jesus, better for you. You're Jesus. Why is it better? Because Jesus, as he's speaking to, to them in his human form, he can be, he's, he's with one, two of them, a group of them for a period. He said, if I go, you're all going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wherever you go, I'm with you. Lo. Shouldn't I leave this to the professionals? No, you shouldn't. Second excuse. But I can't do what Jesus did. He was God. We're going to argue that from the Gospels, Jesus is not just giving you knowledge. He's actually giving you a method to make disciples. And you say, yeah, but... He was Jesus. He, he raised people from the dead. So did the disciples after he left. He healed the blind. In our reading today in Acts, Peter, right, almost all the miracles that Jesus did, the disciples actually repeated. In fact, Jesus says to them, you can do more. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. You can do more through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that he is fully God and he is fully man. And I can't, I can't, I can't wrap my human mind around that all the time, okay? I get it. But when Jesus operates on earth, we, we picture him so much fully God that there's no humanity left in him. Honestly, when we picture, when we read the gospels, somehow Jesus is floating about three feet above the earth. He always has his hands out like this, right? He's got a little halo. 
He's just God floating around. But let's remember, he, we just finished Christmas. I mean, how did he get here? And well, what was it like for God to be a baby? We just picture him just kind of, we somehow picture Jesus in this God form, in, in this body, just kind of sitting around going, oh, come on, 30 years? I'd wait to 30 years before I got to show everybody who I am. No. He had to learn to read. He memorized probably most of, not all, the Old Testament. He labored. There's so much. He, he, we have to understand his humanity. The beginning of Luke, um, I just want to just point out something to you just, just real quickly. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm, I'm going to turn to Luke chapter 4 and then Isaiah just real quick. But in, in Luke chapter 4, um, in, in verse 14, just as we're getting through the, um, going through these, these uh, um, the temptations. In verse 14, it's, and Jesus returned in the power of the, power of the Spirit to Galilee. Why would we have to say that of Jesus? Why doesn't it just say, and Jesus returned in his own power? In fact, this is the fourth time in Luke's gospel in four chapters that he's already referred to Jesus operating in the spirit. Same spirit that's available to you. And Jesus had to do that. In Isaiah chapter 11, it says this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. We covered that in the Advent series. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. Where did Jesus' wisdom come from? According to Isaiah. Spirit. Where did his understanding come from? From Jesus? It came from the, came from the spirit. So he operated in this power. You can do so much more in the power of the spirit. Next uh, and this is uh, directly from Dan Stater's book. I'm trying to make sure that I'm citing things correctly. Jesus did not dip into his deity to live out his humanity. In Spader's book, he calls it the God card. Jesus didn't walk around with a credit card with 777777 on it. Every time they come up in difficult time, he goes, I'm going to have to play the God card here. He lived out his humanity in the power of the Spirit. And that is so necessary for you and for me. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says this. Since therefore children, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same thing. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And he goes on in verse 17, he says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a propitiation for the sins of the people. Hebrews also tells us he was tempted in every way. Listen, here's why this matters to me. Most of us that grew up in the church and we learned how to conflict, uh, to, to stand up for our faith and apologetics, we learned how to defend Jesus' deity against 
against false prophets. And if you've been around the church, I think you have a concept. If you think you have it all together, you don't. But you have a concept that Jesus is fully God. What we don't understand, I'm just being honest with you. What we don't have a grip on is that Jesus was fully man. And here's why it matters. Because when push comes to shove, when tribulation comes, when the doctor says it's cancer, when your kids are falling away from the Lord, when somebody hurts your kids, that Jesus is fully God doesn't help that much. But that Jesus fully understands my hurt and my pain in his humanity, that gives me the strength to go on. Discipleship is overwhelming. If I have to do it like God did it, I can't do it. But if I do it like Jesus in his humanity did it, in the power of the Spirit, then I can do it. Jesus didn't dip into his deity to live out his humanity. That would have been cheating. The same resources Jesus had, you had. Let's just think of some of his resources. We've already named one, the Holy Spirit. Read the book of Luke again. How many times does Jesus go off and pray? I believe in the book of Luke, Luke records, I think it's 17 times or some some big number, nine, seven, I can't remember. I've got them marked in Luke. And I, one of the ones that always gets me is Jesus goes up on the mountain the night before he calls his disciples and he prays and fasts all night long. I, I'm just thinking if Jesus needed to do that before he made a decision, how much more do I? Scripture. Jesus is constantly quoting scripture. And don't neglect the fact that he had friends and family that were supporting his ministry. You have the same resources. Jesus is our model for life and ministry. And I just want to say that because sometimes, listen, Baptists, you have been so trained to read the Bible for knowledge that some of you are forgetting to read it for life change, for heart movement. Just because you can answer the question on Jeopardy does not help you unless you're on Jeopardy. Love that. Love watching Jeopardy and they go, Old Testament, Bible. I'm like, yes, I'm going to get a couple today. So what? When life gets difficult, you need somebody to follow, to emulate. Last excuse. It's really just a spinoff of the same ones because we just keep doing the same thing. God can't do that stuff through me. God can't use me. I'm too old. I don't know enough. I have too many questions. We underestimate what God wants to do through us. Dan Spader writes this in his book, I personally believe that the greatest grief we bring to the Lord Jesus is our lack of faith in what he wants to do in and through us. 
we underestimate what God wants to do. God's done with me. I missed missed my time. I don't know enough. I can't do it. We underestimate what God wants to even do in our church, in our lives. We misinterpreted, I kind of jumped my point here. We misinterpret teaching to be informational and not transformational. That is, we read the Bible for more information, but we're not letting it transform our lives. Cut through the marrow. Wound us. There is no other way than to preach this sermon for me than to sit in my office beforehand and repent of missed opportunities in my own life. Not making enough disciples, not being bold enough with my faith. Not because I don't know it, to do it. I think sometimes too, we, we focus on the Great Commission and, and we forget the Great Commandment. What's the Great Commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Man, so much evangelism seems to totally leave out loving your neighbor. And we also leave out the Great Confession. Some of you, that's maybe kind of a new, I thought there was just two of the greats. No, there's three. The great confession. Peter, who do you say I, I am? You are the Christ. This starts when we recognize Jesus as Lord. When we love him with all of our heart. Love God, love people. And what flows out of that is making disciples. This plan isn't new. When you, when you follow through the Bible, uh, you just, you've got the commission to Adam and Eve that they're to fill and subdue. And then you've got the call of, of um, Abraham and the whole world is going to be blessed through you. This idea of making disciples is not new. I think the biggest thing that's changed in my life is I've studied discipleship and it's just become more and more of my everyday language. And, and some of you, this is, I've, I'm not saying I'm further down the road. You can just disagree with me, but I want you to wrestle with this. I want us to stop separating evangelism and discipleship. Stop separating it. Because what happens is we just, we either just shoot a bunch of information at people, tell them to repent and leave, which is not what God called us to do. Or we're so scared of evangelism that we never get to decide. It's just one thing. It's just relational, one-on-one, one-on-a-life-changing conversations. I want to tell you, I am totally comfortable with discipleship. Evangelism scares me, so I've just taken that word out of my vocabulary. I'm, just, I'm making disciples. I love discipleship. And it's amazing how many times I sit down with Christians who want to grow in their faith and end up getting saved in the process. Uh, church, I never knew any of this stuff. So here's some application to action as we start this series on four chair discipleship. You might want to get the book. You don't have to. Um, it's a small book, really easy read. Uh, Rich and I are going to be adding mostly our own stuff, but it might help you. But here's my challenge to you. Just get in the game. Get in the game. Now, 
I, I was going to use a football illustration here, but some of you are still just really in mourning. I don't want to push any buttons, but... You know, for some of you, it's time for the coach to call in a different quarterback, different running back or something. Look, some of you just need to get in the game. You forgot what it was to have those conversations, those awkward conversations. You're just, you're so, you just need to get out there and play a little bit. And here's, here's my hope. Um, here's my secret hope in doing this sermon series. I'm just going to put it out there. My hope is that you, every single one of you that's sitting here and that it's listening, every single one of you that has a small or big role at Hillsborough First Baptist Church will want more. Will want more for you and for your church in the disciple-making process. That you will get so much so much into this idea of discipleship with you, I'm not going to be happy until we're effectively doing that. Nothing else matters. My hope is that we'll be passionate about making disciples. Not just because we put it in our vision statement, but because it's what God called us to do. And I'm scared. And I hope you're a little bit scared. I hope you're a lot scared. But the good news is, low. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a new year. God, we, we want to enter this new year and we want to just see new stuff, and yet we recognize we've got some of the same old problems. But not just a pandemic, but same old problems with ourselves. Same old problems with our communities and our homes. And so God, we need you to change us and to transform us so that we might experience your power, so that we might see you moving, so that we might see disciples made for your glory, not for ours. And so God, I pray that you would help us as a church lean into your promise that you are with us and that we would fulfill your command to make disciples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.